This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever the case may be, wherever you happen to be. And this is at least here in Los Angeles, a magnificent morning, uh, 9 a.m. Sun is shining. We've had tons of rain. And uh, so this is a, a wonderful break for us, first day of spring. And uh, so we're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes or longer here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to have some fun, um, learn a few things, hopefully. And uh, so a couple of ways to get a hold of us. The good old-fashioned way. Give us a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. But we've been doing something new for the last several weeks here on Zoom. You can join us live here on Zoom uh, with your pets. Ask us questions, anything you want. And that is just to go on to Pet Life Radio website. That's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Shows. Go to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And there will be a link that we've left you for you there, just click on that link and you can join us live. So as many of you know that uh, our regulars, we do a little bit of AHA or AVMA news, but today we're going to do a little different format. Speaking of AHA, we have a very, very special guest, a friend of mine for uh, many years. She is Senior Veterinary Officer at the American Animal Hospital Association. Just want to welcome Dr. Heather Lenzer. Heather, how are you? I am great, Dr. Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And Heather, just for all of you to know, look at that face. We are talking about a, a beautiful woman, a mom of two, husband's a veterinarian. I mean, she's got it all, smiling as she just did all the time. <laughs> I've never seen her not. And yet she came out recently uh, in the veterinary world with a sort of a, a shocking revelation. And to know her, I was shocked only because I, if, I, if I didn't know her as I do, I would probably not have been so shocked. But I know her rather well. And what I see is what you see is what I see and always have. And yet Heather has been suffering for quite a while of severe anxiety and having anxiety attacks. And one thing that we're learning now in veterinary medicine, which is, is very surprising to me, is that we are seeing a lot of problems like depression, like anxiety. And amongst our veterinarians, and sadly, sadly, when I graduated veterinary school, we're talking, we're going, I started vet school 40 years ago. And what we, at that time, we were the happiest people on the planet. Everyone, when you, people hear you're a veterinarian, the first thing, oh my God, you must be very nice. I said, how do you know? <laughs> because you're a vet. So that's the image that we have because we're caring, we're passionate, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with us. There can be nothing wrong with us. And yet right now, Sadly to report that the, as far as the medical professionals, we have taken over, veterinary medicine has taken over when it comes to suicide, number one. It used to be dentists. Who wants to put their hands on a mouth, on a mouth all day long, right? And then people complain and they never want you to touch them and they don't want to go. <laughs> Talk about, we're feeling loved. Our clients and patients love to see us. And the dentist, never, nobody wants to go to the dentist. So it's understandable, but now things have changed. So Heather, share with us. Tell us, first of all, how this, how this all came about and what what led you to actually come out with helping us, the profession, learn more about these issues? Well, it's been quite a long journey. I um, was probably always an anxious person, but I thought it was just, you know, I had stomach pains as a kid and um, I thought it was because I was lactose intolerant and that probably didn't help. 
But I've learned since that stomach pains in children, a lot of times it is anxiety. They just don't know how to articulate it. And I certainly didn't. For me, just like so many other veterinarians, we are very, very good at school. And uh, we can memorize things. We can figure stuff out. And um, and that that provided me a fair amount of safety because I knew that I could do well in school. So I think the academic rigor that I used was probably masking even more how anxious I was. Because if I could get an A on a test, then I was okay. If I got uh, a C on a test, then I was not okay. Because I firmly believed at the time that my worth as a human being was based on my performance. And that is a something as a profession that we're very much grappling with because we do feel that we are worthy because we provide care. We're worthy because we're smart. We're worthy because we work hard. And when things don't go the way they we think they should, we take that very, very personally. I certainly did. So I um, just, you know, kind of powered through for, for many, many years. And the first time I had a panic attack, I didn't know what it was. I was uh, driving home from uh, a job in a, in a busy emergency specialty hospital um, just north of New York City, and uh, which is a, a stressful place to practice. Right. And um, I was driving and I started, my heart started to beat really quickly. I was having a hard time breathing and I was worried I was going to pass out while driving on, you know, in New York City, in New York traffic. So um, I pulled over and realized I didn't think I could make it home and actually called an ambulance and they came and got me and they tried, did some tests in the car as I was sitting there and they, they couldn't really figure out anything being wrong. And then um, they did some things where they took my blood pressure standing up and took my blood pressure standing down. And they thought maybe my blood pressure was a little off. So they took me to the ER and uh, gave me some fluids, IV fluids. And then my husband and my little daughter, Clara, who was probably about nine months at that point, hey. joined me in the ER. And the ER physician was a man and um, just basically chalked this up to fatigue from motherhood and, you know, by trying to be a working mom and, and burning the candles at both ends. And so he just recommended, you know, make sure I drink a lot of water and get some sleep and sent me home. And so I did that. I got as drank as much water as I could, tried to sleep as much as I could, but it was a very stressful time in the hospital at that point. And I just chalked that up to weakness in the end, not being tough enough, not being able to handle the stress of, of working in a busy um, specialty hospital. So when I had the opportunity to uh, move, I did, and, uh, and moved to a different specialty hospital and a different uh, state in New Jersey and was fine for a while until my vet school dog, a lot of veterinarians adopt dogs in veterinary school. Yes, my yes vet we school, do. Yep. My <laughs> and vet continue school. to adopt dogs exactly. as I have four. Exactly. <laughs> So my vet school dog and my vet school cat died on the same day. They died on uh, July 3rd, 2014. Wow. And, uh, and we all have, you know, our heart dogs and heart cats. And, and that was, they were my heart animals for sure. And I was very sad. But the next day I, um, I had to go into work. It was July 4th and I was an ER doc. And as you guys all know, July 4th in the ER is very busy because of all the anxious pets and the mm -hmm. fireworks and all. And um, I couldn't get out of bed. And, um, and when I say I couldn't get out of bed, it's like I couldn't sit up or roll over to stand up and get out of bed. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm dehydrated or, or, or something. So I, you know, got a smoothie in me and my, my kids are now a little older and, and they're, you know, helping me and brushing my hair and trying to get me up and, and I can't stand. 
So I've, uh, I decided I probably have some kind of very serious disease, MS or Lyme. I live in an area where there's a lot of Lyme disease and um, just rested that day. And the day after I didn't have to go into work, although I did tell my boss, I would be happy to come into work because veterinarians don't not go to work. Right. And so I said, if you can just get me like a rolly office chair, I can kind of wheel myself around and see patients because my mind is fine. I'm just too weak to stand, which when I say that now just sounds completely asinine. But at the time, it made a lot of sense. So this type of weakness happened. I probably had started having these episodes every other month, I would say, which again, fed into my thought that this was probably some kind of neurological issue. And so got worked up for physical problems and everything came back negative. And um, at one point in time, my physician, who is a working mom herself about my age, started asking me a little bit more about the stress that I was feeling. And I broke down and was really, really sad and weeping and, and realized that maybe some of this was actually emotional and it was physically manifesting itself because I wasn't allowing myself to feel the grief for my animals the stress of being a working mom, uh, the worry associated with um, raising children with special needs, which I have, and just trying to juggle life and trying to keep myself looking perfect and acting perfect and smiling perfectly the whole time. That you mastered pretty well. Thank you. Well, it turns out I, well, I have a, I have a background in acting. Um, I did <laughs> acting on my whole life on stage and it turns out that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started, I was preparing for a conference, ironically, for veterinary mental health support for the American Animal Hospital Association called Connexity. And I was interviewing a lot of the the speakers that were going to be coming on to try to find out what they were going to be talking about. Because I was the, um, and am still the, the content weaver or the MC for this conference. And so part of my job is to make sure that I could weave together what was happening every day and present it back to the audience at the end of the day, just in case they miss lectures. So I was talking to a lot of veterinarians in, you know, in this format, in the Zoom format, you know, kind of face to face about these type of struggles and how we can help our colleagues. And they're giving me advice that, and they're discussing what's going to be in their lectures. And it's really resonating with me. And I'm like, wow, I mean, that's something I should do. You know, I, I should exercise more mindfully. I should eat more carefully. I should pa- practice self-compassion, which is the practice of talking to yourself like you would a good friend. Like, so if I were to make a mistake, instead of beating myself up over it, I would talk to myself as though I was talking to you, Jeff, if you'd made a mistake, I wouldn't beat you up over it. We would just, you know, figure out ways to solve it. So that led me to go to therapy to see a psychologist and um, that I've been seeing her once a week for two years now. And uh, she's just made such a world of difference. In addition to the support from my physician um, to be on anti-anxiety medication, which has also been very, very helpful. So I come to you now as a, you know, outed person with a generalized anxiety disorder. And um, every day it pops up, um, but I know what it is. And it's sort of like when you see a rattlesnake along a path, you know that the rattlesnake is there. So you just walk around it instead of standing there paralyzed by it. And I think that this and another issue, and I'm so happy you brought up certain points because you're right. We believe that we should be infallible. But it turns out that medicine, and more so veterinary medicine, I think, is the number different number of species we have to work with. It is not an exact science. 
And we are not a one-size-fits-all profession, but we have to understand that for ourselves. And more, more importantly, I think it's very important for you out there listening that you know that we are human. And we have, we, whatever expectations you place on us as practitioners, I guarantee we are even harder on ourselves than you are on us. I tell people to do this all the time, every single individual animal, over and look at the vein of your forearms or of your hands. You will find there are no two exactly alike, all right? Yet, we have these charts that we learn that tell us where all these vessels and nerves are. And, you know, we talked about dentists earlier. Um, I have a good friend of mine who's been my dentist for years. He was in my little brother's class growing up in grade school. His older brother was in my class growing up in grade school. So literally, I've known them for almost 60 years, okay? And, you know, he was doing Novocaine once, and, and, and he does it all the time. And, you know, where they put it, it apparently hit another nerve that put my mouth numb for like a week, okay? Now, it was, of course, challenging to drink my coffee and uh, not knowing when I was going to burn myself or chew on something and not grab the inside of my cheek at the same time. But was I upset with him? No, because I know how perfect he was before that, and he has been since. And we cannot get it right all the time because the animals aren't right all the time. We have a, an expression out there that many of us, many of us as veterinarians know, I use California because I live here, but if you're running along the beach in Malibu, California, and you hear hoofbeats chasing you from behind, what are you thinking, horses or zebras? And the clearance of horses. But guess what, guys? There are some zebras out there. There really are. And sometimes when we work up a case, we may get it wrong. Why? Because we're looking for the horses. We're going for the obvious stuff first. And it may be one of those weird cases that one might see once in a 50-year career. And it just so happened today and to get it wrong. And I think that when I know of one story, which really upset me, Heather, I know you know of this. It was a woman veterinarian here in Southern California who was young. She worked for another practice and then she started her own practice. It was mostly predominantly cats. And she ended up being blasted, blasted over something that really, she did the right thing. And I would have done it. I'm sure, Heather, you would have done it. But she was so unable because of the pressures on her, whether it was student debt pressures, because she just opened up, you know, she was young, probably still paying off her student loans, starting a new practice. I'm sure she had major you know, debts and the pressures put on her. And then she was being blasted for doing the right thing, but not in the eyes of whom I term humaniacs. Humaniacs are a lot of these rescue people, bless their hearts, but guys, be real. We can't please everybody all the time. And when you attack somebody who went to veterinary school, do you realize that you're going to meet a lot of physicians in your life that actually wanted to be veterinarians and couldn't get in? That's cool. I personally know three. You will rarely meet a veterinarian who says, yeah, I actually wanted to be an MD, but I just couldn't get into med school. No, no, no. If you got into vet school, you could have gotten into any med school you wanted. In fact, when I was having my troubles getting into vet school at Davis, because back then in California, I could only apply to Davis, the dean actually told me after my third rejection, says, uh, do you have any relatives in the medical field? And I said, yeah, I got a couple of cousins that are dentists and doctors. He goes, maybe you should apply to medical school because you're just not going to get into vet school. Just like that. Fortunately, he was wrong. I proved him wrong. That was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> but anyway, so be realistic. This poor doctor, and this is what I wanted to get to, actually took her own life. And we see a lot of depression in this field also, and we call it compassion fatigue. We worry about the expectations, the unrealistic expectations that, we are, that are placed upon us by our clients. 
and um, also student debt. It's a terrible thing. So Heather, let's talk about that for a second. What are we doing as far as the profession? AHA doing? How are we combating this? Well, I guess the most important thing is we're now realizing it. it's a problem. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is now in mainstream media. And I, if you're for your listeners that pay any attention to the animal health field, they have like what we're saying is likely not new news. It shouldn't be. But we're attacking this in multiple different places. So I think with Jeff, with colleagues that are in your age bracket, I think a lot of them are still kind of puzzled as to why this is happening. Because as you said, when you guys graduated, it was uh, it was a, just a happy time. And your colleagues now are at a point where student loan debt's no longer an issue more often than not. Some are, they're in practice or they've sold and are now financially stable. And I think there's just a different mindset in that group of colleagues. In my group of colleagues, which are just a little bit younger than Jeff's, we- Oh, a lot of it younger, go ahead. <laughs> we didn't know, we didn't know anything about this. So I think, mm-hmm. so right now the the statistics are showing that, that kind of my age group, the 30-ish to 40-ish group of women we're at a uh, much higher risk of, of suicide than, than any other group, unfortunately. Mm. And I think that's multifactorial, as just like you alluded to, you know, student loan debt, for sure, perfectionism. We don't know whether or not we accidentally select for people that are anxious or depressed in the vet school process. And that's something that the, the deans of, and admissions groups of veterinary schools are, are trying to work on. Is there something special about people that choose, that are smart, that could go into medical school, that choose instead to go into the veterinary space? What is it about them that has them choose that path? And there's some, I know, I know definitely for me, um, with, with a lot of my history, animals were a safer group to be around than humans were. They were more compassionate. They were more patient. They were more reliable than humans. And so if I was going to be smart and, and do well in school and had a choice between caring for people or caring for animals, even as a child, I would gravitate towards the animals. And, um, and we don't have data to know how common my story is that pets were safer than people, but it's probably more common than we realize. Well, you know, one thing you say, and, and I would um, venture to, to looking back at the many veterinarians I obviously know personally well, I mean, I'm doing this for you know, many, many years. And even my own associates, most of us, and my, myself included, have wanted to do this ever since we were young. Right. Sometimes, and like you said, didn't know why. It was just something subconsciously. The relationship I had with my pets was always, uh, you know, I, I joke I was a dog in a prior life. I mean, it was like a natural for me. And go back to grade school. That's people knew. And they knew Jeff Werber. He was going to be a veterinarian. It was just that simple. Me too. So, yeah. And so maybe there is something there. That's a very interesting point. That mm-hmm. what was the connection that we had with animals way back that led us to this path? And, you know, certainly it's not the money because, you know, <laughs> let, let's face it, we, we're not. And that's why I want people to realize, guys, right. we didn't go in this for the money. We didn't go in this. This is not a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, you can do very well, like you said, you know, selling a practice, venturing out, you know, doing a lot of things I do on the side. But, you know, as a practicing working employee veterinarian, you are not going to be able to retire wealthy. And it just, it, it's just, it's a fact. So exactly. don't get mad at us because we're not doing that. We did this because the passion. We did it just truly. We love those animals just as much as you do. And it doesn't make us perfect. Right. And then I, I wanted to touch on the, the younger group of veterinarians now that are in veterinary school or just graduating. They have now grown up with the knowledge. And even when they applied, they would have been told about the, the mental health risks of the profession. 
And there's a lot of veterinary schools now that are, um, they have counselors on staff. They did not have those in my time. And Jeff, you're shaking your head. No, <laughs> not, not even close. <laughs> right. And so, so that is more and more veterinary schools are having a full-time psychologist there. The last time I spoke to some of these psychologists for our veterinary students and young grads, what they're finding is that there's so much anxiety and depression and mental illness in these kids and students and young colleagues. But they're so time pressed that they can't really address anything in school. So they call it, they say that, you know, the house is burning down and all that the psychologists in school are able to do is help them rearrange the, the spoons in the, <laughs> in the drawers, in the cupboard. Right. So with helping them with, you know, test anxiety or, you know, study tips and that kind of thing. So we're graduating people that know mental health is an issue, have been exposed to therapy, but then if they can go into what we need to have as a profession is we need to do a better job of now creating um, support for veterinarians once they've graduated, mm -hmm. allowing them to go to therapy in the middle of the, the, the work week, having employee assistance programs that include mental health, which a lot of larger corporations have but some small businesses really struggle with because therapy is not cheap. And a lot of the times it's not covered by regular insurance. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's still, there's a lot of work that has been done and there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But fortunately the lifting the stigma on mental health that has occurred for sure, which is why when, you know, even though uh, it was a big deal to me to kind of announce to the world that this is something I was struggling with, I knew I was not alone. I didn't expect the amount of positive feedback that I got, but I just was tired of pretending that I was okay and wanted to just let, let people know that I'm not always okay. And I'm okay with not always being okay. Right. You know, it's, it's so it's, it is very important what you say. I lecture to a lot of high school students. I go back to my high school every year. They have a great career day. And I let them know that this is a profession that it's, it's not a cakewalk. You need to work extremely hard. And I tell them at the end of the, this session, I usually give 40 minute sessions. And I did three this actually two weeks ago. And um, I say, understand, I will feel equally as accomplished if at the end of today, I talk you out of becoming a veterinarian as much as I would if I talked you into it. Because this is not something you want to find out going through college. You're majoring whatever you're majoring, you're doing, and then you find out when you get your first job or your first volunteer opportunity and you go, oh my God, this is what you do. Oh, I don't want to do this. Then you wasted all that time. I'd rather... You know, you, it's like my kids. My kids are all animal lovers. They all have animals. They've grown up with animals. We've never been without. And like my daughter says, Dad, I'm, and by the way, she was a good student, went to USC, graduated 3.8. She has the possibilities and the head for it, but she goes, she hates school. She goes, I'm not going back to school for another, you know, four years or more. And she goes, look, Dad, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to have a lot of animals. <laughs> but, you know, there are other ways to show your compassion for animals. So mm -hmm. I want to take a quick break. When I come back, we come back. We're going to talk about COVID-19. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. And then we do some updates about this pandemic virus that is freaking everybody out, especially with pets. We have to set the record straight. Don't go away. I have two dogs, Sam and Bailey. Both are golden retrievers. Poor Sam, he was a mess. Always itching, his paws were soaking wet all day from just constant licking. He had bald spots on his back. I just don't like putting shocks and steroids into your dog all the time. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite is nutrition. Probably two weeks after he started Dynavite, I started seeing 
great improvements. And today, 99% of his issues are non-existent. It's amazing stuff. Since Bailey has been 12 weeks old, he's been a Dynavite dog. And he has zero issues today. He won't eat his food without Dynavite. When I get out the Dynavite, my dogs actually salivate. Like I'm getting them a treat. They drool over it. Dynavite is the best thing you can do for your dog. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio dot com. Welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Weber with our very special guest, Dr. Heather Lenzer from the American Animal Hospital Association, senior veterinary consultant for AHA. Um, she takes care of uh, um, all the American Animal Hospital Association veterinary stuff. And uh, we've been talking about anxiety, mental health issues within the profession, and just how people should look at us. Anyway, speaking of problems within the profession, we are seeing a lot of misinformation out there about COVID-19, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus that is affecting us. And um, we have to make it very, very clear, this virus does not affect our pets. However, there are some remote, and you know, we've been talking about this, and unfortunately, the, the information has become misinformation. People taking their dogs to shelters, letting them out on the streets, that is ridiculous, that is insane. This, we do not need to worry about this virus with our pets. However, there are remote instances, and I mean unlikely that, yes, a dog could carry the virus, not in its body, on its body. So the few, there were two examples. One was a 17-year-old Pomeranian in Hong Kong that actually did pass away, not from the virus. They already know that. The dog tested negative on the second test. And the first test, it was a weak positive. Probably what happened was he was living with someone who had who was positive. Obviously, this person is emitting the virus when he coughs or sneezes and probably landed on the dog. Now, you know, dogs lick themselves, clean themselves, and some of those virus particles ended up in his mouth. And the first test, when they took the test of the swab inside the mouth, it came back weak positive. That dog was not infected. Um, and we think the second thing with another dog also living with somebody who was positive, a German Shepherd. So what happens, what can happen, remote, let me ask you a question. In your own home, if, especially if you're putting yourself on self-quarantine, do you wipe a doorknob every single time you touch it? As long as no one else has come into your home, there's no other way no. And now if you go to the grocery store and you're about to open that refrigerator freezer and you don't wear gloves, yeah, you might take your wipe or your spray. I carry spray with me and you spray it down. So a dog, we call it a fomite. And that's usually when something transmits an infection, a virus, bacteria via an inanimate object, just by touching something that was already there. So in essence, our pets can be fomites and the virus particles can live on their coat. Not very long, by the way. And because they get in sort of um, absorbed into the hair follicles, they don't easily emit. So the chances are very unlikely. What do we recommend? The same thing that we'd recommend for yourselves. Now, uh, Heather, you said you do a lot of reporting, I know, for AHA. What are your latest recommendations? So they don't just hear it from me. I want to hear it from somebody else as well. Well, I think we were talking earlier about treating your dog like a doorknob, which sounds very heartless, but this, these are two very compassionate veterinarians who are, who are giving this recommendation. We need to care for our pets in times like this. They would not abandon us. 
and we should not abandon them. And we were talking earlier about dogs being like doorknobs, right? right? So if you touch something that you think could be contaminated, could have the virus on it, you just wash your hands. The virus doesn't bore through your skin. It has to get into your eyes or your nose or your mouth. So uh, after you hang out with your pets or just wash your hands and don't, I know we all want to kiss them and everything right now, because we do get a lot of, of peace from that. But especially if you don't know where your dog has been, like, like my dogs, they, they stay with me. We go, we go running, but I don't let anybody touch my dogs. I f- would feel okay kissing them and hugging them. Uh, but I just met a foster dog yesterday. They just got out of foster and was living in South Carolina, made the trek up to Northeast to New Jersey and hasn't had a bath yet. And that's a dog that I don't necessarily want to be kissing. So right. when I examined him, I washed my hands afterwards and you know disinfected my stethoscope and just made sure that I couldn't accidentally ingest something that was on him, not in him, correct, but um. on him. So yeah, think of your dogs as doorknobs. You know, so it is true. That's why we, the recommendations I would make, and I do, and I made them publicly. I did you know, just last week alone, two local news pieces and Inside Edition, we talked about this COVID-19. And that is that maybe be more careful. Don't let your dogs go to the dog park. Don't let your dogs go to doggy daycare. Uh, in a sense, they should be also somewhat quarantined. And when you walk them, as Dr. Lenzer just said, right now, it's okay to walk them. It's okay to go. Just don't mingle with dogs that you don't know, or maybe with any dog. Now, certain people in my neighborhood, I know well, I trust, and they're very careful. I'm very careful. I had a, a friend of mine just adopted a pit. They brought it over to my house. And again, I was a little more careful with that. And I, I sprayed. We examined him outdoors. I didn't want to bring him in the house yet because it was just a brand new adoption. So we're just trying to be, just use a little common sense. This is not rocket science, but your dog is not going to give you actively the virus. If you get it or can get it, it's all passive. You were the one that did the, made the problem. That dog was just coming over to get some hugs. And when I did this uh, news piece on, on KTLA 5 here in LA, the last thing, one of the, Mark Mester, who's one of the, the hosts I've worked with before, uh, he goes, so we could still hug and kiss our dogs. I said, you betcha. As a matter of fact, you should, because right now they're feeling so lonely. And their life has changed as well. Trust me, they know about it. So yes, be cautious, be smart, but don't be stupid. None of this, let your dogs on the street. Your dog is not going to give it to you. Your cat's not going to give it to you. And just as Heather said, the same common sense things that we do for ourselves do with pets. And um, if you are at all nervous or you're, you're not sure, you can wipe them down. You can, you can give them a bath. You know, hey, some dogs actually like getting a bath. You know, if it's a big dog, take them outside. Hook them up, you know, use a garden hose. The cold water doesn't bother them. And um, if they're small, use the kitchen sink or the bathtub. Just keep them clean. And, uh, and you definitely want to enjoy them. And now more than ever for your mental health as well, because you can't interact with people. You know, people are going stir crazy. So at least let your dogs take advantage of the fact that you're home. I know there was a great cartoon I saw. It was a great caption. So the dog is thinking and knowing home. He says, boy, you humans are finally getting it, that you're supposed to be home with us, <laughs> spending more time with us. <laughs> and that's what we do all day. So now you're, you're seeing how much better life is when you get to do that. So. Um, Unfortunately, some of us have to work, but don't let it freak you out. We're, we're getting more. And I'll tell you one thing. There is a new study I just saw, actually I read about last night, that there is a, a medication that is used for some of the RNA viruses uh, like AIDS, HIV and, H- and AIDS, and they're using it for feline leukemia and FIP. So they are using this drug and think it might be helpful with the SARS virus that's creating COVID-19 as well. So 
That's good news. And also, there, look, we have, there, there are some vaccines out there. How effective they are or not, we're not sure. But there is a corona vaccine for dogs that we use for their intestinal corona. Cats with FIP, uh, again, how effective it is, it's not great. But you know what? The science is out there. And it would surprise me, literally, if the science comes from the veterinary world before the human world. Because we, as veterinarians, are much more accustomed to dealing with coronaviruses. So, Heather, I know you have to go. We've already gone into a little longer than a show, but that was a very special show. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome anytime. If there's any AHA, American Animal Hospital Association, anything you want to to show us, how can people reach you or AHA directly? Uh, you want to give us your uh, email, your Instagram, Yeah, whatever. yep. Yes, so you can find me at drheatherlenzer.com. Uh, and uh, you can uh, reach out to AHA at AHA, A-A-H-A dot org um, as well. And just one last thing I want to remind everybody is that the veterinary world is definitely grappling with how to care for pets in this time. And um, because we use a lot of the same equipment that our uh, human colleagues, physicians do, and we're trying to figure out what's the most prudent use of our surgical masks and our gloves and our gowns that we're used to having. So because of that, veterinary hospitals are might be interacting with you in a different way than what you're used to. They may be doing more telemedicine. They may be asking you to um, come to the front door of the hospital and uh, and not come into the lobby. They may take your pet into the hospital while you're waiting in the parking lot. And they're doing that to try to protect their staff. So uh, please be patient with them as we figure this out. This is never anything that we as a profession have ever dealt with. And we're doing our very best to treat humans and animals in the, the smartest, safest way possible. You know, my, um, my AirVet, which is my telemedicine platform, we are going, but we are signing up over 100 hospitals a day. And one of the, the uses that I find is great and, and people love it. And as Heather just mentioned, we, we take the pets, many of the hospitals are doing that and you're waiting in your car. You're waiting in your car, what are you doing? waiting in your car. You're you're nervous, you're anxious, your pet's inside with a doctor, you don't know what's going on. This is where telemedicine is ideal. And what we're asking people on AirVet to do is they can go in and one of the features is you want to speak to either first available vet or my vet. My vet sends a ping to the vet and now they're in control. As soon as they take your dog, go into your car, you click on AirVet, you should download it, and then you click on my vet. As soon as your veterinarian is in the exam room with your pet and probably a nurse or a technician, then they will call you back. You are watching the exam as it's taking place with your doctor. It's as if you're there in the room, but you're, you know, 50, 100 yards away in the car. And you can ask the questions. You can see what they're doing. The doctor can ask you questions. Doctor can tell you what the plan is going to be. And you feel like you're part of the exam. And clients are loving it. They don't feel so isolated. And so it's a great way to use telemedicine. And and a lot of practices are now understanding the benefit that I've noticed, which is why I, I start helped start um, AirVet, is that we wanted to make sure that people have access to care 24-7. And this is exactly because of what's going on. And even, even the routine that we're asking people do not, if you have that routine exam, it's for annual recheck, it's because that, that elective surgery that's coming up, we save your veterinarian's time, the staff time, and the potential exposure to it to instances that are really important for your pets save it for somebody else who's having a major problem whose dog hasn't eaten in a few days cat vomiting or having going to the litter box and can't urinate these are things that have to be taken care of now save the, the routine stuff for later but you still want to talk to a veterinarian this is where it comes in handy so um, if you want to get a hold of uh, again any of us you can um, uh, Heather has her own website. You can reach me at, uh, at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Instagram at Dr. 
uh, Dr. Jeff Werber, and um, or Jeff at airbet.com. And um, just join us on Instagram, join us on Facebook. We want to be out there. We're trying to help you be at the best pet parents that you can be and help strengthen that wonderful bond that we have with our pets. And there is no bond like it, trust me. Um, anyway, stay safe, be smart, take care of yourselves, take care of your pets. Um, no unnecessary gatherings, as you know. It went from 250 a gathering, now it's down to 10. So, um, well, you know, it's funny, I live in a neighborhood where, where everybody's very close, and you see out in front lawn, you have chairs set six feet apart, and like in a circle, and everybody's, you know, at least getting to visit and, and enjoy each other's company, but we really want to be careful. All right, anyway, thanks for joining us. Heather, thank you so much again. A phenomenal guest, and thanks for sharing your story. I hope it enlightens a lot of people. Be be realistic with your vets. Don't get on their case. They're only trying to do their best. They love your animal. Trust me, they do. And it, it doesn't always work out 100%, but we're doing the best we can. We are only human. And um, Mark, thanks a lot for letting us extend this show today. And uh, we will see you here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel here. Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Have a safe, wonderful week, everybody. And enjoy spring. Spring is here. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.